0: Uh, we're going to look at Second Samuel chapter 6, Second Samuel chapter 6, the true king. Let me pray, and then we'll get started. Father, we thank you for your grace, your love for us, your mercy in our lives. We pray that you would strengthen us through your word, help us to hear it and receive it with humble hearts, that desire to conform to your will. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen the true king. Um, <coughs> chapter 5 was the account of David becoming king. So all of Israel had gathered in chapter 5 and anointed David king over all of Israel. And Now in this chapter, David brings the Ark of God to Jerusalem. The city of David that he designated as uh, his capital city brings the Ark of God to Jerusalem. And um, before we get into this, there are a few things that we need to review to understand this passage. Some background things, some context things to understand this passage. Okay? So first, we'll do that under to bring the ark of God. To bring the ark of God. Verse 1 says, David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000, and David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal Judah to bring up from there the ark of God which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts who sits enthroned on the cherubim. First, what is the Ark of God? I was very confused when I saw Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, but since then, I read my Bible. So, now I know what the Ark is. So, allow me to share some of that knowledge with you. Um, the Ark if you saw the movie, was a rectangular box uh, shaped, is a rectangular box shaped chest that was made of wood and overlaid with gold. And inside the Ark were the stone tablets containing the terms of the covenant between God and his people. That's why the Ark is sometimes called the Ark of God, the Ark of the Lord, the Ark of the Testimony, ark of the covenant. It's talking about the same thing, the ark. It's not the Noah's ark that we see in in Genesis, but this is this rectangular chest, the ark of the Lord. On the cover of the ark, the the cover that covers the ark, this uh, chest, were two cherubim. And uh, like it says in verse 2, the Lord of hosts who sits enthroned on the cherubim. And it says that because the Lord is portrayed as ruling over his people from a throne that's located between the cherubim. So the ark, in essence, was something that symbolized the very presence of God. is something that was very obviously very important to the Israelites as the people of God, because this, this, this object. On it, in between the cherubim, was the place where the Lord was set to rule over his people. Now, verse 2 says, David went with the people from, again, this is just another uh, background information. It says, from Baal Judah to bring up the ark, uh, from there the ark of God. But many translations, if you have other translations, it'll say uh, that David went to Baal Judah. Not from there, but to which is probably the correct meaning because that's where the ark was the last time we saw the ark. And that's way back in 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 1, where it says, And the men of Kiriath-Jerim came and took up the ark of the Lord and brought it to the house of Abinadab on the hill. This, this place, if you look at 7-1, this place, Kiriath-Jerim, is the same name. It's, it's like the same place, a different name for Baal Judah that we see in our text. And so since this was the last time we saw the ark, inferring from that, it means that the ark was absent for the entire duration of Saul's reign. And that's reflective of the type of king that Saul was, right? He didn't see the Lord God as a true king of Israel. He saw himself as king. Now David becomes king, and one of the very first things that the author mentions under his kingship was the bringing of the Ark of God to the city of David. Again, that's reflective of David's kingship. Um, Just to clarify again, the events of the Samuels are not necessarily chronological. So it doesn't necessarily mean that David did this bringing the ark at the beginning of his reign. It's likely that this account takes place sometime into David's kingship, but the author places it here in the beginning of his reign to convey this about David's kingship, that David understood, unlike Saul, that David understood that it was a Lord who was a true king of Israel, that it was a Lord who rules over his people. and That is what this passage is mainly about. David bringing the Ark of God to his capital city means that he understands that the Lord is the sovereign God who is a true king over Israel. He's just the earthly king representing the Lord's true kingship. The Lord is the true king. <coughs> now, when I was growing up, I, uh, this picture, I saw this in almost every Korean home that we visited. As a kid, my parents would go to, you know, different, different uh, people's homes. This picture was in almost every Christian, Korean Christian's home back in the 70s and 80s. Um, and uh, I actually, after I became a Christian in college, I actually got a hold of one of these pictures. So After I became a Christian, when I was in college... I got a hold of one of these pictures and I actually put it up in my dorm room because I just thought that's what you're supposed to do. I didn't know any better. like I didn't, it was just new to Christianity. Every Christian home I went to had one of these. So I got one and I put it in my dorm room because that's what I thought you're supposed to do. Now, after we got married, after Christine and I got married, we bought our first house. And so I asked Christine, if It would be okay if, like, she would be okay if she wanted to put this picture up in our living room. And the thing is, like, the the frame that you see here in this picture, which I just downloaded on, you know, from the web, was exactly the type of frame that I had. Like, for some reason, every one of these pictures looked exactly like this. So I asked her, do you want to put this up in our house? And uh, she didn't exactly go for it. Um... She basically said it's not 1978, and uh, so we we didn't do that. It it stayed somewhere else, uh, stored in our house. But the idea behind that is this, that you put this up in your living room wall to say that Jesus is the Lord of this house, right? He's the one that rules over this house. He's the one that rules over our lives. Let me ask you this. If we were able to, kind of figuratively speaking, but if we were able to walk into the room of your heart, what would be displayed on the main wall in your your heart? What picture would be up there? Maybe there'd be like a really big picture of your family, right? That's really what's important to you. Maybe there'd be like a huge, for some of us, like a huge, huge, huge life-size picture of myself. <laughs> because that's kind of like, you know, the person who rules my life. What would it be for you if we walked into the room of your heart? And I think that's what David is doing here as he brings the ark, the very presence of God, to his capital. It signifies that even though David is your earth, earthly king of Israel, that the Lord is a true king over his people. Secondly, God struck him down. Verse 3, They carried the ark of God on the new cart, brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, and Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart with the ark of God, and Ahio went before the ark. Now we're told here, that they carry the ark on a new cart. So maybe this was their way of trying to honor the Lord. But the thing is, what they did here was very much a violation of the law. Numbers chapter 4 tells us that the ark was to be carried only by Levites. And uh, Abinadab was likely not from the tribe of Levi. And Numbers 4 also warned that those who handle the ark must not touch it, or they will die. Verse 5, And David and all the people of Israel were celebrating before the Lord, the songs, lyre, harps, tambourines, castanets, cymbals. So this was clearly a, a festive event. There was much celebration going on, and the, there was no way that anyone could have anticipated anything bad happening on this day, on such a festive day. Verse 6, When they came to the threshing floor of Nakon, Uzzah put out his hand to the Ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down there because of his error, and he died there beside the Ark of God. So think about this. The oxen stumbled, so Uzzah probably instinctively just reached out, instinctively reached out to steady the ark, touch the ark, just trying to keep the ark from falling to the ground. And for that, the Lord strikes him down dead right there beside the ark. And we struggle to understand things like this because it seems like, seems like Uzzah did something good. Why would God strike him down if his intention was good? But if we think about this more carefully, What Uzzah did, it means that he thought that that him touching the ark, the ark of God, him touching the ark was better than the ark falling to the ground, which was not true. He failed to realize that he was sinfully dirtier than the ground before the holy God. And God struck him down instantly as he said he would do in the law. Verse 8, and David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah, and that place was called perez Uzzah to this day. perez Uzzah means to break out against Uzzah. It's the same word that we saw in the last chapter, chapter 5, verse 20, where the place David defeated the Philistines was called Baal-Perazim. It's the same word, meaning the Lord who breaks through, right? Because the Lord broke through the Philistines. So David is angry here because, I think, I think what he's saying is, because it seems like the Lord is treating us like his enemy. Why would the Lord do this? He didn't mean anything by it. I was trying to do something good, trying to bring the ark to the, to the city. Why is the Lord treating us like his enemy? And it says that David was angry when he thought like that. And then verse 9 says, and David was afraid of the Lord that day. He said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David was not willing to take the Ark of the Lord into the city of David, but David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. So David's anger eventually turned to fear. Not the kind of healthy fear that we're supposed to have before God, but the kind of fear that leaves you paralyzed. Because he halts his plans. He doesn't bring, try to bring the Ark to the city of David anymore. Um, You know, November is generally a a dangerous time of the year for me because at the end of October, our kids bring home so much candy. There's chocolate everywhere all over our house. It's all over the house. And of course, they can't eat all that candy by themselves. It's bad for their health. Bad for their teeth. So this is how it works for me, right? I see a bowl of chocolate, and I think to myself, this is how it works. I shouldn't. I really shouldn't. I had one already, <laughs> so I shouldn't. It's not good for me. I'm trying to be more healthy. I really should eat better, but there's so much chocolate. And the wrapper is so shiny, maybe I'll just eat one. I know what I'll do. I won't eat a full size. I'll just eat a bite size. Snicker bar. Right? And so that's kind of like what I do, thinking to myself and wondering what I should do with that candy. That's kind of the process of what happens. Now, what's kind of scary and even more dangerous than that, obviously, is that the way that we approach God's holiness is kind of like how we approach trying to be healthy meaning this we kind of know what we should do before the holiness of god but how we respond to god's holiness is often on my terms it seems like that's what david and israel was doing because their reverence for god was just too casual Let's put the ark on the new cart because God is holy. That's something that we should do. Oh, but don't worry. Touch it if you have to because that's understandable. But it doesn't work like that. We have to honor the Lord, not on our terms, but on his terms. We see the holiness of God, not on our terms, but on his terms. And they learned the hard way that a sinner cannot negotiate with the holiness of God. They learned the hard way what it's like to be confronted with God's holy anger without any protection, without any mediator to cover for you. The anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down. Thirdly, the Lord blessed Obed-Edom. Then it says in verse 11, The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittai three months, the Lord blessed Obed Edom and all his household. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed Edom for three months. That's all it says. And the Lord blessed Obed Edom and all his household. So this was probably the greatest three month period of Obed Edom's life. The presence of the ark brought blessings to his life and his family. And we need to stop here and pause for a moment and think about this because it does not say anything about what this guy Obed-Edom did, anything that he did or do well to receive those blessings. There's nothing like that. He just happened to be at the right place at the right time, just merely being in the presence of the ark brought blessings in his life and his family. And this is why we pray things like, God, we ask for your presence here, right? Like before church service, before revival, God, we ask for your presence. Come and visit and be with your people. Because our God who is gracious often cannot help but to bless those who are in his presence. This is exactly what the bleeding woman was thinking when she, when she said, if, even if I just touch Jesus, I will be healed. I just have to touch him in faith, and I will be healed. Um, I kind of wish we could have talked about this before revival, because I think this is a concept that's often lacking in our Christian culture today. I remember one time hearing the testimony of someone uh, who was sharing about like how he became a Christian or how he came to know God, how he came to realize the reality of God in his life. And he said the first time he remembers believing in God was when he was three years old. And how it happened for him was because his grandfather took him to early morning prayer every day and told him, this three-year-old kid told him that he needed to learn to pray. And he says, because he did that, that's when he got blessed. For the first time, that's when he felt the presence of God and got blessed during those times when he was three years old. And we hear stories like that and other stories like that, and we realize that our spiritual culture is so different now. It's a common thing for people to say things like, well, oh, I went to church last week. I actually went to revival last week, so I can skip this week, right? I went to revival last night, for those of you that didn't come both nights, like I urged you to. Well, oh, I went to revival last night, so I don't have to go tonight. It's more common for parents or even grandparents to say, I can't go to that church event because that's my kid's bedtime. I need to put my child to bed and to sleep by a certain time. Or, I mean, you just don't know how cranky he's going to get. Now, let me just, like, even here, let me just apologize for what I just said. Um, because here, I, I know we have God-fearing parents, mothers and fathers, who are trying their best to raise their children in the Lord. So, so... <coughs> So I'll never judge anyone for not coming to church. Uh, never judge any parent for how they choose to raise their children because they're trying their best and they're, you know, that's everyone's individual choice before God. So it's not a statement of judgment in any way like that. But I'm just saying this as a pastor. I'm just saying this to try to teach our church that there are alternative ways to think. That there are other spiritual cultures in which people really think differently. A mindset driven by faith that says, I just have to be there. I just have to be there because I need to be in the presence of God. Because God is so gracious, even if I just show up and just Touch his cloak. God can work in my heart. I just want my child to just to be there in the presence of God. Even if he's not, even, even if he's not at that age where he's going to be even conscious of it. Because the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household just for being there in the presence of the Ark of God. Verse 12, it was told King David, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that belonged to him because of the Ark of God. So David went and brought up the Ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. so now David seems like had some time to process what happened the first time when he tried to bring the Ark, that failure, he was able to process it. Now he can see that the Lord is not just bursting out against his people. He is not against us. He initially saw God's holy judgment and fear, but now he sees God's favor in grace, and he wants to try again. And This time, he learned this lesson. He does it the right way. There's a parallel passage to this passage in 1 Chronicles 15, in 1 Chronicles 15, verse 2, it says, And David said that no one but the Levites may carry the ark of God, for the Lord had chosen them to carry the ark of the Lord and to minister to him forever. So now he's careful to follow the instructions in the Mosaic law. Back to our text in verse 13. When those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal. This probably doesn't mean that they offered a sacrifice every six steps. Six steps might be a technical term denoting a certain distance. Verse 14, and David danced before the Lord with all his might. David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. So we're told again that David worshipped with sacrifices and that he rejoiced with dancing and shouting. He worshipped the Lord Sacrifice to the Lord, and then he rejoiced with dancing and shouting. So this rejoicing here in this verse seems different than the rejoicing that they did the first time. David and Israel rejoiced the first time, you know, when they tried to bring, the, bring up the Ark of God, but that rejoicing relative to this one seems kind of like more of a naive and empty rejoicing, Right? That's the kind of rejoicing that, that shouts at and dances at church, right? All right? Let's rejoice in the Lord. It was like, woo! That kind of rejoicing. But then, like, you rejoice at church and then you go home and you do whatever you want. Like, you live however you want. Holiness of God doesn't matter. That kind of empty rejoicing. <clears throat> but now, this time, this rejoicing was the kind of rejoicing that you experience after you see the holiness of God. And after you repent of your sins, after seeing the holiness of God. And experiencing, after after repenting of your sins, then experiencing God's grace. David saw that God is fearfully holy, but he also saw that he is unreasonably gracious. And after processing all of that, now David is able to dance before the Lord with all his might. Um, Lastly, I will make myself yet more contemptible than this. Verse 16. As the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, the daughter of Saul, looked out of the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. Michal, wife of David, daughter of the previous king Saul, saw David dancing, dressed in his simple linen, and and she looked down on him. Not just looked down on him, it says, She actually despised him. Simply because he looked too silly in her sight. He was just getting too excited, dancing. Verse 17. They brought the ark, brought in the ark of the Lord, and set it in its place. David offered burnt offerings, peace offerings before the Lord. Verse 18. When David had finished offering the burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts, distributed among the people the whole multitude of Israel, men and women, cake of bread, portion of meat, cake of raisins to each one. So David worshiped the Lord, and then he served the people. Because truly experiencing God inevitably leads to overflowing those blessings to others, to people. By the way, that's why many churches, they have offering time after the sermon. The idea is, like, you get blessed, and then, like, the the cash and the checks come out, you know? Maybe we should change our order from the beginning of our church. We've always done it before. Maybe we're doing it wrong. I don't know. Verse 20, David returned to bless his household. But Michal, daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How the king of Israel honored himself today uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants female servants as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself so she did not like what she saw david danced in a simple linen tunic so she says you did not behave like a king today you actually behaved like a slave today verse 21 And David said to Michael, It was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his household to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord. And I will celebrate before the Lord. I will make myself yet more contemptible than this. And I will be abased in your eyes. But by the female servants of whom you have spoken, by them I shall be held in honor. You see, Michael." Didn't get it. She had no clue why David was dancing. She says, you were not dignified as a king. David, on the other hand, says, it doesn't matter that I'm the king because I did that before the Lord. David's attitude is, if I'm just reserved, cautious in my worship, thinking about how people see me, what others are going to think of me, then that means I'm more important in my eyes than God is. And that's not true worship. Because God is so worthy of worship, in David's eyes, a king can dance like a child. Michal and David think so differently. How can they think so differently? And I think the key in understanding that is in verse 17 when it says, David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. Meaning this, how do you reconcile, even in the same passage, a holy and fearful God who struck down Uzzah just for touching the ark? Okay, so on the one hand, right, this holy and fearful God who struck him down just for touching the ark, and on the other hand, This unreasonably gracious God who blessed Obed-Edom just for being in his presence. How do you reconcile that? The Bible's theological explanation is David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. The Bible's theological explanation is that Jesus was completely consumed on the cross. He became the burnt offering. As he offered himself as a peace offering to appease the holy wrath of God. So now fellowship is restored between the Lord and his people. And that is why David cannot help but dance and worship. Because he understood something that Michael did not understand: that there was actually now a pathway and an access. Experience grace before a holy and fearful God. Verse twenty-three: and Michal, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. What was shameful to Michal was worship to Saul, and worship to, to David. And God seems to have seen it David's way, because Michal had no ch- children. And the end result of that was a termination of the line of Saul. Um, If I can uh, (coughs) just conclude with this thought. This Friday at FNL, we talked about, uh, we read an article, and we talked about, I guess, the distraction of social media Pessimin talked about that at Revival, how we're always looking down on our phones, not able to see other things that are more important, see God, see the word of God, experience God, because we're always looking down on our phones. And we talked about that a little more extensively at FNL. How we're too involved in social media, addicted to it, looking down on our phone, doing different things and playing games, and missing out on a lot of different things that are going around, around on around us. Um, I was thinking about that, and uh, that's constantly on my mind, you got to understand, because I have teenage kids. I think one of my main aims in life is to keep my children off their phones. It's like one of my main goals right now in this stage of life. Um, but the thing is, like, I have the same problem. Like we all have the same problem. And this is the kind of thought that. This is what I was thinking, not only social media, but but for me, like. um, uh, Okay, so you know, I I, I do different things on my phone, Facebook. um, And uh, I still play that game Clash of Clans. It's just like, I'm like level level twelve, maxed out, just like waiting for level thirteen and all that stuff. It's just you know. And uh, um, constantly, like we talked about in that article on Friday, like constantly like getting like fed in unnatural ways, things happening in our brains because like the phone is stimulating different things, unable to sit still, unable to be silent, even unable to like enjoy the God-ordained solitude of going to the bathroom alone. That's a, that's a God-ordained time of solitude. But we're even unable to do that because we take our phones with us. Constantly bombarded, like feeding ourselves, stimulating our minds and our, and our sight and all kinds of stuff happening in our brains. so that it hinders us from actually just being human. So that when we're actually sitting down across another human being. We're not able to like, really enjoy that conversation the way human beings are supposed to because that person, in all honesty, is not as interesting as what I get out of the phone. And that really struck me one time because that's exactly what happened to me. There I was in our living room, in our house, my family around me, my kids around me. And it just hit me, like, like I'm kind of numb to this situation right now. This should be, like, a really enjoyable time, like, this stage of life. The kids are this age. Like, play with them, have fun with them, like, you know, do things with them that I'm never going to be able to do when they get older. It should be a really fun and enjoyable time. But somewhere in here is, like, something's not, like, wired right now. That, because I'm too used to like being stimulated in artificial ways, Meaning because of this artificial feeding that we get, what we're meant to enjoy, what we're meant to experience as human beings get um, reduced and we become numb to it. And I think the worst part of that, the worst reality of that is that the very same thing happens to our relationship with God. There's nothing in this world that's supposed to fill you, satisfy you, meet your heart's deepest, the the heart's most anguished needs. There's nothing in this world that's supposed to satisfy that apart from the grace of God. Realizing the the holy God actually killed his son on the cross to die for my sins, that I can now experience his grace in that way. But even that gets so reduced and numb to the feel of the heart because I'm so preoccupied with lesser things in this world. I think what David teaches us through this text is that in, the, in the, the living room of our hearts, in the inner room of our hearts, that it must be the Lord that reigns. It might not be that picture of Jesus, but some form of Jesus reigning, taking the throne of our hearts. that He might be the one that we experience and delight in every single day in our lives. Let's pray together. You know, like we talked about at the Wednesday prayer meeting, no matter how your week has been after revival, it's okay. Every day is a new beginning. Um, Don't ever feel discouraged just because you feel like your life was supposed to take on a different trajectory just after revival. It's just another stepping stone, something to build on, something to learn from, something to, to grow from. No matter what your past week was like, we can experience God's power or we can experience God's grace. Whatever form it might be, we can experience God and draw near to God. No matter what picture is hanging up in the inner room of your heart, let's continue to see the cross. Let's continue to see the cross that brought together the holiness of God and the love of God that we might be reconciled to God, that I might have peace with God. And through the cross, let's continue to work at it so that uh, he would reign enthroned in our hearts. Let's pray together and ask for strength for today, for this coming week. So let's pray together for that Sing a couple songs. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your word. We thank you for um, warnings and also uh, showing of your grace. We pray that you administer to our hearts through your, through your word and help us to receive it by faith that we might live according to it. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray that you would allow the word to really... Uh, minister to our hearts and help us to understand who you are through your word Uh, we repent for so many times being so casual about what it means to be a follower of a holy god how we often try to treat the holiness of god on our terms and how you have to meet our needs a lot of times we repent for that kind of attitude Pray that you would help us to really be shaped in the spiritual culture that we set for ourselves for our families for our future generations help us to be really be shaped by the word of god how amazing it is that you are infinitely holy yet mindful of us because of jesus christ pray that you would transform our hearts to love you, to follow you, to trust in you every step of our way. No matter what struggles we're going through, and different struggles that are represented here in this room right now, we pray that you would meet us with your power and your grace, that we might be able to overcome all things in the strength that you provide. Thank you, Lord. Be with your people. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, this incredible, unchanging, faithful love, the love of the Father God, fellowship and the strength and power of the Holy Spirit be with you God's people both now and forever